Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for May 25th, 2014. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon is entitled, Because You Can't Take It With You, and subtitled, Pass the Jelly Lois. I have thoroughly enjoyed this sermon series, maybe my favorite ever, and I'm sad that it's coming to an end today. I've loved meeting the characters up close and personal, seeing their reactions to this resurrected one. I've enjoyed delving into these first eyewitness accounts of the post-Easter Jesus. We've met the beloved disciple John, who didn't need any proof. He found it all so easy to believe. It wasn't complicated for him. Then we met Mary Magdalene, whose eyes were opened when he called her by name. Then we met the disciples, minus Thomas, who recognized him when he started speaking the familiar words of worship. Then last week, even good old Thomas comes to see him for who he was, even in the midst of his honest doubt. I've loved each week being able to say honestly, wow, this is my story. Because each week I've realized that my story has mimicked John's and Mary's and the disciples and Thomas. It's been fun to hear some of you say, I'm three for three. Can't wait to see if I'm four for four. I've enjoyed some of you saying, finally, this week was my story. I haven't known what you were talking about until this week. So, I'm going to tell you that today's text is a bit of a letdown for a conclusion to a wonderful series. I want to meet another of those early followers and hear their story I want to be able to say on this final week of the series, wow, that's my story. I want another aha. I want to witness another experience from those early followers of what it must have been like to realize that this one that they had thought was dead and gone was actually alive and well. But alas, we have run out of characters to study at least from an eyewitness account. Tom Long says that the ending of the 20th chapter of John's Gospel that I'm just about to read, this ending of these resurrection appearance stories is a bit like turning up the house lights on the scene. You know how when you're on the stage and the spotlight is directly on you, you can't see anything in the audience The light is too blinding. But when you turn up the house lights, you can see the audience. Well, for four weeks, we've had the spotlight on some of the main characters of faith. But in shining that light so intently on them, it's hard for us to see ourselves. How have we been eyewitnesses to the resurrected one. 
You see, their story only really matters if it becomes my story and your story too. Telling someone else's story is one thing, telling your own story is another. The gospel story is only as good and meaningful and powerful and transformative as the current generation's ability to express it and live it and tell it from our own perspective. I want to read that sentence again. The gospel story is only as good and meaningful and powerful and transformative as the current generation's ability to be able to express it and live it and tell it from our own perspective. The ending goes like this. This is what he says to Thomas at the very end of their encounter last week. Jesus said to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And then the final commentary on all of this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Hmm. You mean other appearances happened that were not recorded? Maybe even still happening? Are you recording them? How will faith live on if you don't write them down? I don't re-preach sermons. I don't even rework old ones and pass them off as new, even when I am tempted to do so. Except that one summer when we did do a top 10 greatest hits, I think it was our 10th anniversary, and we did a top 10 greatest hits where we went back and we re-preached some of our old favorites, but even then we reworked them so much that they were really brand new. I've had a few sermons that I've taken on the road to preach in other places, and I won't lie about that. I don't usually write new stuff for new people. They get your old leftovers. <laughs> there's no doubt that there's one sermon that stands out among all the sermons that I have preached as a most remembered favorite. It was entitled, Pass the Jelly, Lois. I preached it on October the 7th of 2001. We had been here one year. And as I worked this week through the this theme for our, this final sermon, all I could think about was that one sermon from 13 years ago, which is really very scary, because really, I can't tell you what I preached two weeks ago, much less 13 years ago. I do not hang on my every word, okay? 
But I remember this one very specifically. What made Pass the Jelly Lois memorable was just the opening story. You know, that device we preachers use to draw you in at the beginning. When I first wrote this story, my father was still alive. I did re-preach this in the top 10 a couple of summers ago, but if you'll allow me one more time, because a good story can't be told too many times, and a lot of you weren't around in 2001. My great-grandfather, Isaac Calamese Jacks, and my great-grandmother, Sudie Jacks, lived across the road from my father when my father was a boy out in the country of Lawrence County, South Carolina. There were some Jacks relatives that lived in New Jersey. That would be Uncle Vernon and his crowd. They had some friends, these New Jersey Jacks, had some friends, not relatives, that each year journeyed from New Jersey to Florida. Uncle Vernon told his friends, stop by Clinton, that'd be a good stopping place. Stop by Clinton on your way to Florida for a good visit and they'll cook you a real good meal. So these friends did. For several years in a row, though my father doesn't refer to them as friends, he affectionately calls them moochers. <laughs> so for several years, the moochers would stop by Grandpa Jax's house and Grandma Sudie would prepare a big feast. I imagine it was fried chicken, thickening gravy, fatback cornbread, homegrown tomatoes, corn, green beans, absolutely no casseroles of any kind, but plenty of biscuits and homemade jelly. Now the way my father tells this, back then, 80 years ago, parents didn't fix the child's plate first, cut everything up, get it cooled, have a special table set for the children, and have the ketchup ready at hand to be squirted for the chicken fingers. No, that wasn't how it worked back then. Children waited until all of the adults had eaten their fill, and they waited quietly so as to not disturb the adult conversation or interrupt the visiting that was going on at the table. Times have changed, haven't they? When the moochers came through each year, I mean, we all know them as moochers. When the moochers came through each year, a feast was prepared that would make the children's mouths water and they couldn't wait for the adults to hurry up and finish so that they could finally eat. What the, what the children enjoyed most was the homemade biscuits, not the WAP biscuits that you whop on the side and open the can. Homemade biscuits, <laughs> homemade jelly. That was the children's favorite. And all my father can remember overhearing from that adult dinner table as he awaited his turn was, pass the jelly, Lois. Lois was the moocher's wife and she was hard of hearing. It was something about the way the moocher said it. Pass the jelly, Lois. Something about the fear that the jelly was gonna be gone before my father could get any. Something about that phrase stuck with my father. And this is what I wrote in 2001. And even this morning, I can promise you, he said to my mother after he finished his scrambled egg and was ready for a piece of toast, he said, 
past the jelly, Lois. And my mother's name is not Lois. <laughs> I say it, my brother says it, my sister says it, and many more nights spent at my parents' house and my sons will be saying it as well. You cannot pass the jelly at our house without saying pass the jelly, Lois. Well, my father's been dead for almost 10 years. He left me a little piece of land, road frontage land on A.B. Jacks Road. He left me his ability to craft a story. He left me a commitment to family. He left me the practice of showing up for your children. So if y'all get tired of hearing us talk about showing up at ball games, you're gonna have to get over it because that's part of my inheritance. He taught me to show up. But maybe the best inheritance he gave me was past the jelly, Lois. Because that phrase has now come to symbolize for me that we have the ability to pass on the things that matter. And our faith matters. I got my faith from my parents who got their faith from their parents who got their faith from their parents and on and on it goes. My children got their faith from Russ and me and it surely won't be a surprise to you that one of my greatest hopes and prayers is that my grandchildren will one day get faith from their parents and that my great-grandchildren will one day get their faith from my grandchildren and on and on it will go hopefully here's a bit more from 2001 sermon faith is passed on much the same way that past the jelly lois was passed on my daddy loves to say it he loves to tell the story he loves to hear us say it as much as he loves to say the Lord don't love ugly and act like you've got parents, he loves to say things that we can pick up on and take with us. He loves the phrase like he loves to rub his fingers together at the breakfast table and we all know that means I need another piece of toast. I know about past the jelly, Lois, because it has been passed on to me. As Protestants, maybe especially as Baptists, we have proudly and boldly held to a theology of individualism that promotes each person accepting and believing for himself or herself anything about faith in God. We've supported the notion that you can do, that you do the best you can to teach faith, but ultimately each tub sits on its own bottom. And we are only accountable for what we accept and what we believe and what we don't accept and what we don't believe. And I believe that's true to a point. But today, I want to call us to pass our faith on to our children, believing that this is the only inheritance worth leaving. We work so hard to provide the best for our children in every way. Food, shelter, clothing, education, values, and morals. This isn't just for people who are parents. This is for anybody. We all work for the betterment of our children. And I'm calling on us 
to pass on our faith in a God who loves us unconditionally, a God who seeks justice and peace for all of God's children, a God whose grace is indeed amazing. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in the book, but these were written so that you would tell them over and over and over again so that you and everybody that comes after you might just believe. The resurrection appearance story for today can only be seen when we turn the house lights up. When we tell of our own experiences of how and where and when we have seen Jesus, the future of the church depends on how we pass on our faith. When we turn the house lights up, I see my maternal grandmother who lived with us my entire life, who grew up in an orphanage and made her way to start a family and raised them in the faith and spent about 60 years of her life at a piano bench in a church. When I turn the house lights up, I see my Catholic mother who found her way to the front of a sanctuary when I was on knelt knee and she put her hands on my head and gave her Catholic blessing to a woman ordained to the gospel ministry. When I turn the house lights up, I see my other grandmother raising an entire family in faith. Five children, 13 grandchildren, 25 great-grandchildren, all only knowing about faith in a Christian tradition. When I turn the house lights up, I see my father who didn't talk about his faith as much as he lived it. I see him sitting at heaven's great breakfast banquet. He's doing this for another piece of toast. And somehow, strangely, God's name is Lois. <laughs> Pass the jelly, Lois. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.